Welcome to Fantasy NASCAR Podcast, episode 500. If you're expecting something special, you must be new around here. You know what this podcast is. It's me by myself, 500 times, staring at a spreadsheet, just talking out loud. I'm not going to change for 500. How could you think I'm going to be able to find someone that wants to come on here and wants to talk and someone that's special or unique or I'm going to no. We're going to do a regular old fantasy NASCAR podcast and we're going to talk about Las Vegas and we're talking about the Xfinity series. I'm recording this podcast before the Fontana race, which may worry some people. Whoa, how can you record a Las Vegas Xfinity podcast without having seen the Fontana race? I can slightly understand that to some extent, for the Cup Series because we have a new package that we're going to use at Fontana, even though I've already recorded a Las Vegas podcast, which was a review of a 2018 low-down force, high-horsepower race, which I believe was helpful. It's there. Check it out. And this can be helpful. You it, Look, so what would we glean from the Fontana race that would make this unsuitable? What magical mystery is going to unfold at Fontana that will completely render Podcast number 500, a early look at Las Vegas, worthless. What? I'm, I'm not, it's not rhetorical. I'm asking you right now, as you're driving in your car or you're watching on YouTube, what could happen at Fontana that would make this review of last year's Las Vegas race less than six months ago completely worthless? We take this data and say, scrap this data. Don't trust this data. What could happen? The package is the same. For the most part, the drivers are the same. The teams are the same. Stop. Park your car. What's going to change? What could happen at Fontana? It, let's imagine that for some reason, an unexpected driver has a good race at Fontana. Cool. Great for that driver. But are you going to let that one performance at Fontana completely change your mind for the rest of the season? Sure. It may open your eyes to a specific driver in Las Vegas. It may have you lean towards writing someone off at Las Vegas. But there is nothing that any driver or that any team can do in the Fontana race. What, is JGR just going to completely implode? Is Junior Motorsports just going to go bankrupt at Fontana? Are they going to win billions of dollars and all of a sudden have super fast race cars at Fontana moving forward? Even if, even if at Fontana, Junior Motorsports finishes one, two, three, and four, does that mean you're only going to pay, play Las Vegas Junior Motorsports cars and fade everyone else? Would you shift that hard? Probably not. There's probably nothing that's going to happen to Fontana that's going to completely change your mind that would render this worthless. That being said, it's okay to look at last fall's Las Vegas race this early and just remind ourselves of it. So welcome to Fantasy NASCAR Podcast 500. I should have some at least like uh, party favors or something, but I don't. I do have racefortheprize.com. That's where you can go to get access to the Fantasy NASCAR spreadsheet. If you want to look early at the Las Vegas spreadsheet, if you want to look early at what happened last year at Las Vegas, you kind of got a clue if you're looking at the screen. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, then you probably don't have a clue. But if you were looking at the screen in front of you, you had an idea. And you can get that information by going to racefortheprize.com. A bunch of different information there. But where I'd want you to click is this Brandon Cruz red logo. That will take you to patreon.com slash Brandon Cruz DFS. That's patreon.com slash Brandon Cruz DFS. And you can support Brandon and you can support myself. And we'll continue to provide podcasts, videos, 
live videos, spreadsheets, his Discord, his picks, his tools, the mass entry tool, the optimizer, the randomizer, all the things that you have grown to love with the spreadsheet over the last, we're coming up on a decade, right? We're coming up on a decade of the spreadsheet and, you know, we're at 500 episodes. We're closing in on 100,000 downloads, hitting all the big numbers. Great, awesome, whatever. You don't care. Maybe you do care. Let's look at the optimal lineup from last year's Xfinity race. And I've watched the race. There are notes from the race. If you have access to the Fantasy NASCAR spreadsheet and all of the folders, you can go back and you can look at the notes and see the 2018 Las Vegas Cup race, which I think is important. You can also find all of the 2021 Las Vegas races, both Xfinity races, the Cup races in there too, if you want that. I don't think it's that important. Important. The truck race is in there as well. So you can look at the notes. There's also notes in the spreadsheet in front of you pulled from NASCAR. You can see those specific notes. But let's look at the optimal lineup. Justin Allgaier is your big dog, but he does not win the race. Josh Berry is amazing at the end of this race, subbing for Michael Annette. No practice, although he did race for Junior Motorsports at Las Vegas in the spring. But I mean, how much could, did he really carry over? He's jumping in the number one car, new team that he hasn't worked with before, no practice. And I mean, he's just amazing, period. There's, there's no excuses. There are no asterisks. Josh Berry in this race is the best driver with the best car. He is amazing the way that he is able to wrap the bottom with discipline, other guys are trying to find speed in the middle. Some people are running the wall and almost like a la Kevin Harvick at Atlanta, where other people are searching around for speed. Other people are running high, doing different things. Josh Berry disciplined, running the bottom, wrapping the bottom, finding max speed, drives to the front, drives by the leader multiple times. The best, an amazing performance and one that I would expect he replicates in the spring race. Early favorite to win this race. I got to go with Josh Berry because he seems to know his way around it. He can give that setup information to the 18. Now, it's not the one team anymore. Actually, he might have. Who is his crew chief this year? That's worth looking up. Who is Josh Berry's crew chief this season? Is it the same crew chief because Michael Annette's gone and we know the old eight Taylor Moyer, I believe, moved up to a different series. That is an interesting question. That is a question that I want to look into right now. That's the beauty of episode 500 of the Fantasy NASCAR podcast. It's always a learning experience for me. And if you are learning, good. Like the videos. Subscribe to the YouTube. Subscribe to Apple and Spotify. Do all of them. Cover all the bases. I'm not going to listen to all those different services. Yeah, but it helps me. Because I, Pierce Dietrich, will become the most viewed fantasy NASCAR analyst. It's going to take a while to get there. I kind of had to restart because I stepped away last season. And I'm doing it by myself. I'm not necessarily by myself. It's me and you. And it is very hard to build a channel that way. But you can do it. Be easier if I had a big time website that could support me. But we're not going to do it that way. We're not going to sell out. We're going to do it grassroots and build this thing one subscriber at a time, trying to convince you with good content to come on board and for you to share it with other people. We're going to do it organically. We're not going to mess around. Okay. If I look at the Fontana entry list, let me pull it up. And that'll give me an idea of who the crew chief is for Josh Berry. 
Not that I really need to know it. I, honestly, if I were to sit here right now, I'd say I don't care who his, his crew chief is. I mean, I would want to know. It's something that we're going to need to know. I've got crew chief videos. 499 was a crew chief video. 498 was a crew chief video. Will I do crew chief videos for the Xfinity Series? I don't know. We'll see how it goes. I mean, I'm basically doing fantasy NASCAR podcasts for everything anyway. We might as well get to it at some point. We're not there yet. We're not there yet, but we probably will get there. But like I want to say is that I like Barry in a junior motorsports car. Crew chief, probably not going to change my mind, but going down as we get race by race later in the season, sure, it's something that I would like to know. His, it's Mike Bumgarner. Mike Bumgarner. I don't believe that was the crew chief of the number one car. I just want to look at junior motorsports crew chief. So Taylor Moyer is with the one this year, which is Sam Mayer. Taylor Moyer used to be the number eight car. Well, now the eight is going to be a full-time ride with Josh Berry. Gregson has Luke Lambert as his crew chief because Gregson lost his crew chief from last year. Luke Lambert, I believe, used to be at RCR. Oh, my goodness. At some point, we're going to have to do a podcast where we go over all these different Xfinity changes because this is just junior motorsports. Junior Motorsports playing musical chairs, bringing in people, changing people around. Uh, this is kind of confusing, so that's not really fun. And at least Allgaier still has Burdett, right? Jason Burdett is still with Allgaier. So at least that sense of continuity, and that'll be a little less homework for us to do. But man, there's a Xfinity podcast, Crew Chief. That's like seven-part series almost a mini series that will have to be rolled out. Uh, let's look up this uh, Mike Bumgarner, Mike Bumgarner, not ringing a bell for me. Is it ringing a bell for you as you're listening at home or watching? I'll pull it up here on the other screen and I can actually probably just pop it into this screen, which I will do real quickly so that you can watch as well. Let's find Mike Bumgarner. Not the Cy Young winner, not the three-time World Series champion. He might be related. Who knows? Wouldn't be surprised to see him be related. Mike Bumgarner, Cup Experience 2004, one race with Terry Labonte. 2006, two races with Terry Labonte. Uh, Xfinity Series, 19 races with Kyle Busch in 2007. With Was he still with Hendrick? I think he was probably still with Hendrick at that time. I guess I can pull that up. Kyle Busch got four wins, four top, 14 top fives, and that was, yep, still with Rick Hendrick. Man, they should have never let Kyle Busch go. What ifs? What are you going to do? Uh, so Mike Bumgarner, a little bit of experience there. Then he's been pretty much part-time in the Xfinity Series. I don't know. What's the story with that? He was really good there for Rick Hendrick in 2007. Best with Kyle Busch, some rides with Castle, Martin, Casey Mears. Then he disappears for six years, comes back, does a little bit of part-time work. Brad Sweet, is that the Brad Sweet, the dirt racer Brad Sweet, the brother-in-law of Kyle Larson Brad Sweet? That can't be. Maybe it is. I don't know. I'll Google that up. Brad Sweet, isn't that the right guy? Am I thinking of somebody different? Caitlin Sweet, Brad Sweet. Now we're getting way off track here. All right, Brad Sweet, dirt racer, legend, drives for Casey Cade now. I'm pretty sure he is the brother-in-law of Kyle Larson now. Uh, we'll look at his Wikipedia page. I'm assuming that's him. Yep, that's him. Uh, okay. That's not really helpful, but interesting. Uh, 
did a full season with Mike Lynette last year out of nowhere. There it was. So he was Mike. There it is. All right. Bumgarner coming out of retirement, joins with Mike Lynette. Not really much there, but man, they're impressive. In five races with Josh Berry, four top tens, two top fives, and a win. Now Josh Berry and Mike Lynette. No, Josh Berry and the Bumgarner. Bumgarner and the Berry. Bumgarner Berries. Bumgarner Berries. Watch out. Very excited for him in Las Vegas. He was the best. Justin Allgaier is very good as well. Uh, Ty Dillon in the Jordan Anderson car. Used a little bit of pitch strategy at the end of stage one because of the cautions. Uh, Had kind of older tires. And we get a handful of restarts in stage two. This is a pretty hectic race. There's a really bad wreck, I believe, at the beginning of stage one. Takes out several contenders, but the top dogs all still remain, and they all remain intact. But at the end of stage two, Dylan gambles, and he stays out, and he's able to hold on to position. And they have a, a lengthy green flag run towards the end of stage two. I want to say 25, 30 laps. I might as well look that up. And I don't care. It was, it was a link. And Ty Dillon, he gives up the position to Algar. Algar eventually gets around him, but Ty Dillon doesn't drop. He remains in second place. And that Jordan Anderson car was fast. And I said this to Cruz a couple weeks or during Daytona that yes, the Jordan Anderson car had some mechanical issues when Jordan Anderson was driving. And a lot of that was probably because A, when he's driving, there's not enough funding, there's not enough resources. He's also juggling way too many things, also with the truck team, Xfinity team. He's doing all of the promotion, all the PR, he's doing all the meet and greets. It's not surprising that something gets missed and there's no practice and the car fails. Now, when he's got a top-notch driver in to give feedback and they're over-prepared for when Ty Dillon's in. Because Ty Dillon's bringing money, he's bringing sponsorships, so they make sure they're probably working around the clock. Jordan Anderson's probably working around the clock because the last thing Jordan Anderson wants to do is build a car that's going to fail when a top-tier driver, because then you're never going to get a top-tier driver in there. Right, If you build a car that's going to fail for Eric Jones, even though Eric Jones wrecks, that's not a mechanical failure, Eric Jones is not going to get back in that car. Ty Dillon's not going to get back in that car. You've got to make sure that the car is prepared so that you can keep bringing these guys in. And we saw Josh Berry run well in that car. Austin Dillon looked good in that car. Plenty of people looked good in that car. And here it is. Ty Dillon was really excellent. People are going to say, I don't get it. His average running position of 10th. He ran inside the top 10 in a Jordan Anderson car against some of the better competition in the Xfinity series. And Ty Dillon didn't have practice and hadn't been really in a car very often before that. Kudos to Ty Dillon. A very strong performance. Austin Sendrick, um, when did he lead laps? Was it stage one? Yeah, I believe stage one or stage two. He uh, looked really, well, I guess we could... Pull that up. We got the lap by lap data here. When was sent? So he led out the gate, but once he got into dirty air, he wasn't very good. And I'm sure he ticked off a couple fast laps here or there. He was running the high groove, but he was not very good in the high groove. He was able to hang into the top five, but he did really tail off here at the end, as you can see the data. And then kind of bowed us back to Himrick and Cindric really battling to round out the top five. They're never in contention. And Cindric really is glued to the wall. He can't get the bottom to work. Whereas Gregson can work both lines. Allgaier can work both lines. Barry never even has to go up there. He just stays on the bottom. Cindric stuck up top the entire time. I guess it's not really going to matter much to us because we can't roster Cindric this year or a Penske car for that matter. But that just explains it. Bailey Curry, 23 place differential points. 
I am confident that's probably a junior a JD Motorsports car. Occasionally, those JD Motorsports cars really surprise. Occasionally, those JD Motorsports cars were absolute letdowns, and they made us wonder if they were starting and parking. That's how bad it was. They had mechanical failures, for sure. They had bad cars every once in a while, for sure. But then occasionally, like Bailey Curry has talent. Been saying this forever. You OGs that have been with me since the Fan Vice days, you'll remember playing Bailey Curry, the Texas superstar, several times, early 2018 Xfinity contest. We've been playing him. When he was with Mike Harmon, not very good. It's not because Bailey Curry lost his talent. We could see when Bailey Curry would jump into the truck series and go run for Nice or run for a little bit better equipment the last couple of years. You could see the talent that Bailey Curry had that was not being expressed through the Mike Harmon car. Last season, we got to see Bailey Curry not in great equipment, but in better equipment running consistently with JD Motorsports. And then you can see here a pretty strong, solid performance. An average running position of 16th. He finishes 13th. Ton of place differential points. That's a slam dunk home run play right there. Let me double check and see what kind of equipment he was in. And I can pull that up over here on Las Vegas. I would assume it's the four car or the six car for JD Motorsports. He was in, no, Landon Castle was in the four car. Landon Castle finished 16th. He had a strong run. Bailey Curry was in the 15 for JD Motorsports, both of which, so Castle had the Voyager crypto sponsor. Curry didn't have a sponsor whatsoever, but there are a ton of cautions in this race. And that really helps these small teams manage tires, play games. Running caution laps is always good for a BJ car, for a JD car, for a Mike Harmon car. Fewer laps under green is just better on the machine. It's better on the chassis. It's better on all of the parts in the car. And it's also, I mean, less chance of failing and less chance of going a lap down. Uh, since I got it up, that green flag run at the end of stage two was 32 laps for Ty Dillon. 32 laps in stage two, Ty Dillon hangs on. And then to close out, guys, the, the, the race ended with a 76-lap green flag run. So if you want to hate on Ty Dillon, the fact that he hangs on and finishes eighth in a Jordan Anderson car on a 76-lap green flag run, that is a strong car. That is a strong performance by Ty Dillon. I don't care what you had to say. So Bailey Curry... Not like all of the, what kind of rabbit did Bailey Curry pull off his hat? It's not unbelievable to see Bailey Curry finish 13th. Also, you kind of have to factor in that 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 cars, or actually 8 cars crashed out, two of which had mechanical failures. Uh, One was, let's see, you got Riley Herbst. That's a spot that probably Bailey Curry would have lost. Sam Mayer, we knew what kind of mechanical situations he had. That's another uh, Dylan Lupton, maybe in the Sam Hunt racing. He got involved in a crash. I don't know. That's neither here nor there. Jeb Burton, definitely. That's another spot racing for Matt Cullig, which would bump Curry back, which would bump Landon Castle back. J.J. Yaley, maybe in that Rick Ware 77. I, if I had to guess right now, if gun to my head, I would take J.J. Yaley in the 17 car over Bailey Curry, just the way that it is. Alex LeBay, I don't know. I think that Curry probably could handle that. Jeremy Clements would have finished higher. And then last, Joe Graff Jr. Eh, I mean, the car could have finished better, but I don't know if Joe Graff could have finished better. Um, worst case scenario, even if like things didn't work out for him, 
he probably had a top 20 car. Same thing with Castle. Now, you take away some of these cautions, probably could have been a different story as well. I don't believe they finished on the lead lap. I would a 76 lap run. I don't know if they finished two laps down. What do you think? 76 green flag lap run to finish this race. Did Curry? I know. I guarantee you they didn't finish on the lead lap. Did they finish two laps down? Curry and Castle. Think about it. All right. Do you have your answer? Okay. Curry was one lap down and Castle was one lap down. Castle was close to going two laps down because Ryan Sieg finished 17th, one spot behind Landon Castle, and Ryan Sieg was two laps down. So if you guessed two, you weren't very far off. 76 lap green flag run. That's uh, very hard to stay on the lead lap. There were surprisingly still 10 cars on the lead lap. Ty Gibbs did not finish on the lead lap. Ty Gibbs. Uh, but, okay, hold on, though. Because Ty Gibbs got a penalty during the green flag pit cycling around lap 23. So, all right, pump the brakes. Like, wow. Now, remember, it's in the notes. That's why you watch these races again. Because some people, if you're just looking at results pages and you're saying, oh, man, Ty Gibbs, this guy's garbage. Well, hopefully you're smart enough to look and say, well, actually, his average running position was fifth. He finished 11th. So, something's up there. And if you dive into the notes or just watch the race again, you see, oh, I got nailed for a green flag penalty, and that's what got him. But even if you're just looking at his average running position, he was what? If we rank him based on his driver rating, he wasn't very good in this race. He was okay, but he had nothing for the junior motorsports cars, and he probably wasn't even the best JGR car in that race. Probably could have outraced Cindric. Cindric really struggled in dirty air. Didn't have much there. Uh, Gregson finishes third. This was the first time ever in the history of junior motorsports where his team finished one, two, and three. First time ever. One, Barry. Two, Allgaier. Three, Gregson. First time ever in the history of junior motorsports that happened. And before the race, Junior's like, oh, we always struggle Las Vegas. Can't figure this place out. One, two, three. Impressive. Gregson was really working a bunch of different lines. Uh, he may have been, you're probably, oh, well, he's far behind. And he was. He probably finished uh, 10, 12 seconds behind Josh Berry. Josh, Justin Algar was, I think, four or five seconds behind Josh Berry at the end of this race. But, again, you got to watch the races or look at specific things, and you will see that, I don't know if this is going to be on Racing Reference anymore. I think they may have stopped putting this stuff up here. They still showing it? Nope, they got it. Gregson got nailed for not one, but two penalties. He got nailed on lap 48, driving through three boxes, had to go to the tail end. Then, next pit cycle, lap 93, next stage, speeding on pit road, tail end. Still, starts in the back in stage three, drives his way all the way to a third place finish. In his home racetrack of Las Vegas, you take away those penalties and knowing how fast those junior motorsports cars were and knowing that Gregson was pretty strong at running multiple grooves. Barry had the best car, and I imagine if Barry had to run up top, he could. When he passes Justin Allgaier the first time or the second time, I don't know, one of them was just a power move on the outside, a groove that he wasn't running, a line that he wasn't running, unpreferred, probably dealing with dirty air, just powers by him with ease now it would have been really interesting to see if gregson gets up there somebody i would roster look i mean all three of them are going to be strong contenders 
We'll see. Now, maybe Fontaine will be an absolute disaster. I don't think so. I don't think anything's going to happen if Fontana is going to change my mind in Junior Motorsports. A lot of cotton. You know what, though? He does have the new crew chief, right? Are, are we going to worry about that? Are we going to worry about his crew chief? Who did I say his crew chief is going to be for this race? Noah Gregson's got Luke Lambert. I want to say that was Ryan Newman's crew chief. Is that right? Pretty sure. Got to get the old encyclopedic brain going. I guarantee you Luke Lambert was crew chief for Ryan Newman. And I believe they were at Roush together. Or was it RCR? I'm going to say Roush. Luke Lambert, Cup Series, Ryan Newman. Was it only five races? They change? I didn't know that. Have they worked together before? They did one race last year. Luke Lambert. What happened? They do oh the old crew chief flip, I guess. Wow. Let me see. Which five races did he do with Newman? Did five races to start out the season. And then it looks like they switched over to no, he did five at the end of the season. Luke Lambert came back. I always thought Luke Lambert was with him before, wasn't he? Had Scott Graves. Luke Lambert, Ryan Newman was with RCR, then Hemrick, then he does Busher, but man, that's really confusing to see him jumping around like that. Well, whatever. Who cares? I knew. That's what I thought. I thought it was RCR for all those years. Not a lot of race wins for Luke Lambert. Not a lot of strong performances either. But not the greatest equipment either here in the Cup Series. What are you doing in Xfinity Series? He did a full season with Elliott Sadler in 2012 and four wins. Not bad. It'll be interesting to see what Lambert and Gregson can bring to the table. Will it be a downgrade? I don't know. It looks like Gregson was really hitting his potential before anyway. I like his old crew chief. He got promoted, I believe, to something. I can't remember what he's doing now. All right, continuing to look at Las Vegas as we wrap up Fantasy NASCAR Podcast, episode, episode 500. This is an EpiPen. Landon Castle, kind of already talked about that. Brett Moffitt was running the high groove. He wrecked. Uh, who did he wreck at one point? Someone slid up in front of him. He just dumped him. Let me see. Do I got it over here? Got to look at the racing notes to find out. It was a top-tier driver. I want to say like Riley Herbst or one of these guys. Who did Moffat dump? Who did Moffat dump, dump, dump? I don't know. I could look it up in my notes. I could look it up in my notes. Zero one. Oh, whatever. He dumped the guy at some point. Uh, Daniel Hemrick just... Didn't look very good. Struggled on a couple restarts. Was okay. Actually, struggled on one restart. Had a good restart. You had to be on the outside. If you were on the inside, you were just toast. One time, though, I believe the inside was able to prevail. And we saw this in the 2018 low downforce, high horsepower race in the Cup Series. That high groove just kind of, they've got the drive off on the on the outside of two. And then even going into three and four, such huge advantage. You really need a strong push and to clear into one and even then you run the risk of someone diving underneath you uh all got was great stage one out in clean air stage two he ends up in dirty well he does it's not his fault because the guys stay out in stage one i mentioned before with ty dillon and brandon brown they do kind of an unconventional strategy with the tires because of the cautions ty dillon gets a decent restart on the top groove brandon brown it's already tough enough to restart on the bottom he spins his tires he stacks the bottom, 
and A.J. Allmendinger, although he had one stage one, ends up restarting in the bottom on the inside in stage two, gets stuck behind Brown. All of a sudden, the train goes around him. He gets caught in the middle, and he's back in 13th place just like that. And then for the rest of the race, Allmendinger gets in his own head. He's dealing with dirty air. He's struggling with traffic, and he goes from just gapping the field, running away with this race in stage one in clean air, to just struggling for the rest. And there's times where he's running pretty well. I mean, his average running position was 15th, but he never becomes a factor. You never think that he's going to ever get back up there again. Brandon Jones dealt with a issue early in the race, but is able to get back. Uh, I think he got hit or something, and he's never really a factor. But has a decent day. Salvage is a decent – this is a typical Brandon Jones day. I mean, even if Brandon Jones didn't have his issue with – it was a loose wheel. He had a loose wheel, had to pit again. Now he pit under caution, so he was lucky. He had a loose wheel. There was a caution right after that, and so he came down pit road, had to restart in the back, drove back to the front, got a top 10. But, I mean, even without that loose wheel, you, I don't really think Brandon Jones is going to do much in that race. David Starr starts in the back. It's 25th finish or 21st place finish. That's definitely boosted by all the cars that wrecked out. Uh, did he have the 21st best race car? No. But as I mentioned, eight cars wrecked out, all of which were probably going to take spots from him. At the very least, four of them were 25th at best. But he keeps his car clean, runs around. Same thing with Vargas, keeps his car clean, runs around. Not as big of a fantasy play because Vargas didn't start as far back. Star starts, Star starts in 38th, drives to 21st, again aided by attrition. Vargas starts 31st, very similar price tag, 5,300, two stars, 5,400. And he drives forward, a little bit better finish. A little bit better car, but again, aided via attrition. Tommy Joe Martins gets a top 15. Again, aided via attrition. At least six of those spots he gets because cars wreck out. And also, as I mentioned, when we get all these wrecks, we get all these caution laps. Sure, that 76 lap run to green at the end did not help these small teams that Tommy Joe Martins belongs to or Car Long Motorsports or JD Motorsports. But by the time we got to that point where we had a 76 lap green flag run, you had the top tier, you had the top 15, which was pretty much locked in that, you know, Tommy Joe Martins wasn't going to mess with them. Kyle Weatherman wasn't going to mess with them. David Starr wasn't going to get a top 15. But by the time we hit that big run at the end, which, you know, is a disadvantage for these smaller teams, Things that already sorted themselves out. Tommy Joe Martins is going to outrace the bums. And then you've got people who are wrecked out. So it was just pretty much, okay, this is the tough 76 flag run, but it doesn't matter. We can just cruise and play it easy because we're going to beat the people that we're supposed to beat already. Those guys are usually supposed to finish 30th, but because of the wrecks, they're finishing in the 20s. So we're going to finish ahead of them, and we don't have anything for the guys in the top 10, so there's no reason to abuse our equipment. There's no reason to really push it and go crazy. We're not going to beat Gregs, and we're not going to beat Barry. We're not going to beat JGR. It's not going to happen. So take it easy. Save your stuff on this 76 flag run, and just make sure you beat the guys you're supposed to beat, and we're going to take a safe top 20. And that's exactly what they did because you had the chaos in stage one. We could get that again. Or we could not. We'll see what plays out in Las Vegas. Justin Haley has never really has it, but that's not a it's not a surprise. These colleague racing cars, they're amazing at the plate tracks. But colleague still has a way to go 
at the intermediate tracks. They're getting there. A.J. Allmendinger had a couple wins, but a lot of A.J. Allmendinger's wins were not really impressive wire-to-wire performances. A lot of times they're aided by some of the elite drivers wrecking or late race restart. He hangs in there. He had a top five, right? But they weren't quite there. And that could be a cause for concern with Daniel Hemrick this season. Something to think about. Ryan Sieg with a typical run. Actually, that's a really poor performance by Ryan Sieg. He should do better than finishing 17th. Uh, He got involved, though, in a wreck, if I remember correctly. I I think he was involved. Yeah, he was involved in a wreck on lap 55. So I'm not going to really believe that was him. Let me double check. I don't want to give you any misinformation. Yeah, Ryan C got involved in a record left 15. Otherwise, he probably would have finished ahead of some of these. He's not going to crack into the top 10 more than likely or the top 12, but he should be on the other side of the top 15. But you've got that incident that he gets involved in. Ty Gibbs already mentioned. Wasn't that great? It's a very disappointing day by him. It was just simply a junior motorsports day. Junior motorsports had the cars, period, in the story. Harrison Burton at times looked good, but then he started to really struggle in stage three, was giving up spots, just was way too loose, just didn't have the car. Harrison Burton disappointed often. Harrison Burton was not very good. There were a couple races through his Xfinity career in 2020 and 2021 where he looked really good. And just a couple, though. For the other, what, 62 races or so, Burton disappointed, just as Burton had disappointed in the truck series previously. Blaine Perkins, who was Perkins with? Perkins was with our motorsports in the secondary car, gets a 20th place finish. These guys in the back, really no surprises here. Nothing you need to talk about. I've already mentioned the guys at the bottom here that may surprise you with some of the wrecks. Uh, The lap-by-lap data, we're not really going to get into it, but your big takeaway, uh, Junior Motorsports was awesome. JGR wasn't great, but I wouldn't downgrade them. We'll see. I would imagine that they will be fine. Give them another year. Can't always win them all. Colleague is always a worry because they're just not that great at the intermediate tracks. We'll see what kind of cars they bring to Fontana. If, for whatever reason, Colleague Racing has taken a step up at Fontana, which I would be concerned because Colleague is expanding. And we talk about this, we talked about this on the Fantasy NASCAR podcast for years, for 500 episodes. Team expansion versus shrinking expansion taking on more teams, more cars, more resources, if they were to bring more resources in, but often they just spread the resources out and we see performance decline. And as Cully grows into the Cup Series, that's going to stretch the team out. It's going to stretch the resources. If I had to guess where I'm standing right now and come up with some sort of hypothesis to test, it would be that I would expect Cully, maybe by the end of the season, they start to go back towards improvement, but it should be rough go, a rough going I mean, if you're just putting new people in place, that's a challenge enough. Now you're putting new people, new crew chiefs, new drivers in different cars, and then you're adding cars and moving resources around. And just on a simple weekend before, for the most part, they were just focused on their Xfinity program. I mean, think about it that way. You go to the track, we're just worried about Saturday. Well, now we're going to the track and we're worried about a practice for Xfinity, qualifying for Xfinity, racing for Xfinity. Colleague didn't have to do that. You know, what Colleague was really growing, it was just showing up and racing. Now... They have to work on practice, put the resources into qualifying, put the resources into a race. Oh, by the way, they also have to put resources into practicing for cup and taking that information, putting it into qualifying and then racing. That is a lot. 
Maybe they expanded. Maybe they added a bunch of resources and they're going to be fine. They're going to be ready to go. But we've seen in the past, teams don't necessarily do that. They think that, oh, we can just scale this thing out. No, you can't. No, you can't. It doesn't work that way. It's not that easy. I would love to see a team expand and excel. During the heyday of NASCAR, sure, it was working. It was happening. But that was 20 years ago. Over the last decade, when are we seeing teams expand and be successful? When are we seeing teams move people around between the Xfinity and Cup and changing crew chiefs and they're automatically clicking? Like the closest thing we've seen to changing was Kyle Larson jumping into Hendrick. But really, the only thing that was changing there was they just took the driver and put him in. That team had already been together. You were just changing drivers, and the driver was a slight upgrade. I know Jimmy Johnson won seven championships, but we also knew that Kyle Larson has tons of talent and was incredibly hungry, and we saw that. Expansion's a completely different story. That'll do it here for episode 500. Thank you, everyone, for sticking around all these years, going way back to Daily Fantasy Radio. After that, Fantasy Sports Dojo, some of you might remember. Probably not. Um, Degeneration Nation. That one was an even shorter-lived stint for the Fantasy NASCAR podcast. Almost guaranteed no one listened to those. I I could look at the stats. I know no one was looking at those podcasts in 2014 because they were mainly just regular NASCAR because Fantasy NASCAR disappeared when Fantasma went away. But then we came back in 2015 when DraftKings launched, and maybe you watched NASCAR After Dark and those podcasts at Roto-Grinders. Then I quit there. Did my own thing. Uh, And then DFS notes, creating the Fantasy NASCAR podcast on my own, kind of building that up. And then Fanvice saw the DFS notes podcast and said, all right, come on. And I was at Fanvice for the end of the 2016 season, the 2017 season, and then 2018. And then I stepped away in 2018. What's with this guy always stepping away? Well, I stepped away in 2018 because my wife had a child and I had received a major promotion at work. And it just it wasn't going to happen. And so I handed the rain. Because, you know, the Osimo acquisition was already in the process. And I was like, ah, you know, I'm like, but I just didn't care. Like, cool, great, it's awesome. But it's Osimo, but I'm just going to spend time with my family. It's more important. And my career was more important at the time. So I stepped back and I said, hire Phil. Get Phil in there. And... They did. It's awesome. So Phil took over and people didn't, you know, go crazy that I stepped away. I was really worried that people would be very, and I'm sure some people were upset. Like, where did the guy go? I bought this package at Fanbuys and he's gone. That ain't cool. Yeah. Well, but Phil's good. Phil take it over and Phil took it over and Phil carried the day, saved the day there. Phil saved my reputation because if Phil would have done a terrible job, then I would have been toast. I wouldn't be here right now. So I'm very thankful and grateful for Phil filling in, Phil filling in for me on Fanvice and doing that. Because again, there's just no way that uh, my reputation would have been toast. So very grateful. And the Fanvice guys were all really cool and everything about that too as well. Like very considerate and understood my situation. Everyone was like, you, everybody. I'm really Grateful, eternally grateful to all you guys for uh, not abandoning me during that moment. And I've been transparent about it. It wasn't like I was trying to double cross you or anything. It was that, uh, baby, sorry, got to do this thing. Uh, but then realizing that babies are expensive, which I knew before, but I wanted to spend some time with 
you know, a newborn. Then I relaunched 2019 on my own at uh, so surprise.com And that's basically what we've been doing 2019, 2020, um, 2021. Again, I stepped away. Well, I didn't step away, actually. I took a break for about a month as I quit my job and was unemployed. So, uh, yeah, did I, I mean, I did all 2020. I didn't do any podcasts in 2021, but that's because I, again, another crazy, like the big shifts. Like I quit Rotogrind just cause it sucked. Like that wasn't uh, anything other than like, there was, ne- it was never going to go anywhere. They were never going to re- promote me i'd already seen the writing on the wall like when they brought me in at roto grinders me and tobin we were the nascar guys like cool sweet we're on roto grinders we're the nascar guys we've been working on this for years and then next thing we know like oh actually you're the b team like wait what do you mean we're the b team and you realize like oh okay well we're being held back we're never going to get a chance here and so we just screwed around when we realized that when we realized like all right well we're never going to get a fair shake here at roto grinders and they're basically just going to sit like there were times where they didn't even release the podcast. We would record it. We'd send it in. We'd send in all of our stuff and they would pay us and then not even release it. Okay. You don't want us to be anything. You want us to fail. We get it. You've picked your winner and that's fine by me or whether, I mean, that might've, it might've just been incompetence on their part or just mistakes or they were busy or whatever, but either way it looked like, it was never going to work out. So I just pieced out. No hard feelings. You know, it wasn't like I said anything mean. It's like, all right, I'm just going to go do my own thing. Thanks for, you know, whatever. Bye. Um, but the other jobs where I stopped was the kid. And then I had quit my job. We moved to Ohio. We completely changed our life. And so during that life change, it seemed prudent to, you know, Pause the podcast for a little bit. I still maintain Monster Squad. I still maintain the spreadsheet through the end of 2021. Still did everything that I had done before. I just said, all right, we're going to pull back on the podcast for a bit. Now it's back. Here we are, 500 episodes in. I guess this is as special as it gets, right? This is the only thing that yet. Again, thank you to everybody who's been with me for all these years. Thank you to the people who have gone to the Patreon, people that have sent me money via PayPal, people who have sent me money through Venmo, all the different ways you have contributed and supported, people that signed up at Fanvice and bought that package or any of the packages that I had, people who were a part of the Monster Squad. I, uh, people who were at Daily Fantasy Radio, thank you. People at Fantasy Sports Dojo, thank you. People at Degeneration Nation, thank you. The guys at DK Nation, DraftKings Playbook, thank you. It's been awesome. 500 podcasts, I, I cannot believe that. I mean, just since I've been solo, I think I'm about to hit 300. Just since I've went solo and launched the thing on my own, which is pretty amazing to do 300 all by yourself. Um, I know it sounds like I'm complimenting myself, but guess what? Everyone's what's okay to be proud and happy of something that you've accomplished. I know this isn't the greatest podcast ever, but I work hard and I try to improve because I, Pierce Dietrich, will become the most viewed fantasy NASCAR analyst. I'm going to get there, and I'm going to get there with your help. We've got 500, and if we just keep grinding away, we're going to get there. We're going to be something special. I, Pierce Dietrich, will also become a top-selling Amazon author. If you want to check out my weird blog, you can.
you can get there by going to racefortheprize.com and clicking on blog. You can see the constrained vision and all the neat stuff there. If you ever get bored and you're into the internet, you can see the other things that I do and find out more about me. Yay, way. Awesome. All right. Thank you, guys. Episode 500. Like, subscribe, share. More fantasy NASCAR podcasts on the way. I hope this Las Vegas information helps you out. And for the old timers, let's trip the lights fantastic.